Now, unfortunately, through life, we sometimes, we lose sight of our identity. We forget who we are, and we forget who we are in Christ, and uh, whom we belong to, and we lose direction. We might make choices, and along the way, when we make these choices, we sit there and we say, why did I do that? Have you ever ever done that before? You make a choice, and you step back and go, why did I do that? I, I know better than that. My mom or dad would have never allowed that in my house, or... I know as a Christian, I shouldn't do this. We just, we just know that, right? Well, there's a movie. And, uh, of course, I'm going to call it a love story. My wife will probably argue with me on this one, um, that it's not a love story. But the movie's Braveheart. Okay? Gentlemen, it's a love story. That's it. Sort of. Okay, anyway, at least the first ten minutes. But it focuses on the life of William Wallace who was a Scottish knight. He fought for the freedom from the English. Now, William Wallace arrives on his horse, faces painted blue, and he's got all these men. They're about ready to retreat. They're at the Battle of Stirling, and they see what opposes them with the English, and they're like, we're out of here. And he comes right in on his horse, blue face painted, and he provides this incredible motivational speak. And he says this, Sons of Scotland. Okay, and he, I'm just going to stop there, Okay. The sons of Scotland, that's all he needed to say because unless you know history, that means nothing to you right now. But if you know history, that means everything to you right now. You need to understand this. See, the Scots were the only ones the Romans couldn't conquer. The Romans conquered everyone, but they lost battle, battle after battle after battle to the Scots. That is why the Romans built the Hadrian Wall to keep them out of their empire. So when he rides in, he calls them sons of Scotland. The first thing he is doing is reminding them of their noble identity, the identity of those who are victorious, the identity of those who are undefeated. And in spite of their present condition of feeling very inferior and being very scared, they're reminded, fear not. It was almost a biblical move of an angel appearing saying, fear not. I love that scene because it reminds me how I need to hear the truth. You see, too often I face my spiritual opponent and I forget who I am in Christ. There are times I feel defeated by sin and I struggle. There are times I feel depressed and down. And I need to be reminded by Jesus, by Paul and other biblical authors about my identity in Christ, as probably you do as well. I need to be reminded that as a child of God, I have a new identity. And my identity has history. Part of my spiritual identity is that I have a heavenly father. Now, my point is this. If you know who you've descended from, and the one who preceded you was honorable and invincible, it changes your attitude towards life. Think about that. Because my father was an honest, God-fearing man, helpful, loving, my attitude is to reflect and proudly be called the son of Leighton Stump. I'm very proud of that. Because I know who I've descended from. Because my heavenly father is above all things. All-knowing, all-powerful, almighty, eternal, holy, Just, loving, invincible, undefeated. My attitude 
is to proudly reflect him as his child. Now, as I said earlier, Allie has a new identity. And she has a new direction in which to live. And see, with God as my heavenly father, I'm given a title, child of God. I have a new identity and I have a new direction to live. But the question is, the question is, and this asks for all of us, what makes me a child of God? If you were to leave here today and somebody said, what makes you a child of God? Could you answer that question? And could you answer it clearly? I want you to think about that. For all, uh, for Allie, it was an official document, right? A lot of documentation, a ruling of the court by law, a long period of time before she was officially declared a child of the Reader family. It took a while. So, but we know what makes her a child of the Reader family. We can see it all documented, but what makes you and I a child of God? I want you to think back about a little over a year ago, about a year and a week ago, the Supreme Court ruled what? Do you remember that about same-sex marriage? Do you remember that whole ordeal? That was just a little over a year ago at this time. And here's what happened. Social media just blew up. And if you read through social media, everybody's opinion on where they stood on this whole matter, I saw a phrase used often. And the phrase that was used with all these comments concerning the ruling is a popular phrase. It was used for people's defense of their opinion. It's sort of like, hey, I can say this because, and this was the phrase, well, we're all children of God. Have you ever seen that phrase used before? Well, we're all children of God. So because we're all children of God, we can whatever. Here's the deal. This phrase was used then, it's used today, and it's most often used in error. For some reason, by popular thought and errant teaching, many are led to believe that every single person born on this planet is a child of God. Is that true? No. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I thought everybody's a child of God. The answer is no. According to Genesis 1.27, we believe, we know what God has written here in Genesis 1.27, is that what? We are all created in what? The image of God. We're created in His image. We also learn and believe that Adam and Eve were the first created by God. And that's where we find our roots. But how does that make us children of God? It doesn't. It just makes us descendants of Adam and Eve created in the image of God. So we've been studying Romans chapter 8. And as we're going through Romans 8, we've described a radical response to the grace of God. Because God has saved you by grace, we should be living differently. That's what we're doing as we're going through Romans 8. And for the first time in the book of Romans, and the first time Paul mentions it, we hear it. As sons of God, or children of God, the phrase is used. And he's been talking about our assurance of salvation. And he's arguing that one basis... For this is our new relationship to God. It's a family relationship. But he writes about this in another passage too. So before we go to Romans 8, turn with me in the book of Galatians. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the first four four, uh, books in the New Testament. you got Acts and Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and then you get to Galatians. It's one of those small books. Galatians chapter 3. Starting in verse 26. 
Now listen carefully, because Paul makes this very clear. And so what I've been saying, it's not, well, this is Pastor Rex's opinion, okay? This is interpretation of Scripture. Verse 26, it says this, So you are all children of God. And that's where a lot of people stop. But you've got to finish the rest of the verse. You're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me hear you say through faith. One more time, through faith. See, we're not just children of God, period. No, we're children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. If you have not placed your faith in Christ Jesus, you are not a child of God. Read on. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have been made like him. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all Christians. You are one in Christ Jesus, referring to those who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and now all the promises that God gave you belong, gave I'm sorry, God gave to him, belong to you. See, we are only children of God through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. So as we look at Romans 8, 14, we discover another passage that's loaded with words that test who we are spiritually, but at the same time, they bring great comfort and peace and hope. So turn with me to Romans chapter 8. So you're just going to go back just a book or two. Romans chapter 8. We'll pick this up starting in verse 12, where Pastor Landon was preaching last week. Let's read. So, dear Christian friends, Romans 8, verse 12, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. If you keep on following it, you'll perish. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you turn from it and its evil deeds, you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. This is where Paul first mentioned in the book of Romans. See, we are under no obligation. In other words, as Pastor Landon preached last week, it's no longer your duty. You don't owe sin anything. We are not dictated to live in sin as saved people. You don't have to. With the Spirit of God now living us, we're free from sin. And we have the power and the ability to live in a righteous way. See, there's progress in moving forward in your faith. Church, we're not the same spiritually today as we were last week. At least we shouldn't be. Right? I was at a a restaurant the other night, pulled in to grab some pizza, and there's a family sitting at the booth. Like, hey, Rex. Like, hey. And I had to think, who are these people? Because I hadn't seen them in years. Literally, it's been years. Okay? But here's the problem. I haven't changed much in my looks over the last few years. Okay, once you reach old, you don't change. You're you're there, okay? But the last time I saw this family was when their kid was in youth group, which was like 20 years ago. That young man is married. He has kids. And it's like, oh, you got a baby. Wow. It's like, and we, we went and talked to him for a little bit. We walked away. And I looked at Jenny. I said, who is that again? I was like, it was that so and so and so. Yeah, I was like, wow. And I was like, just amazed. I was like, but here's the deal. If I would have walked in there and saw them and they looked the same as they did 20 years ago, we would have stepped back and said, that is like a freak of nature, right? 20 years later, nothing's changed from when he was 16. No, there's, there's growth. There's change. Physically, naturally, that happens. Church, spiritually, that should be happening with us too. 
you should look spiritually different than you did 20 years ago, especially if you're only 9 or 10, okay? But if you are, as an adult now, have given your life to Christ, and you are growing in Christ, you are different today than you were yesterday. At least you should be spiritually. Look at verse 14. It goes on to say, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So if you've not received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves, instead you've received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Now this verse, verse 14, is so packed with important truth, you have to pause and let it soak in. Because see, if we get this wrong, we're going to be like many others who are posting things on social media that are not true. So let's make sure we get this right. First of all, here's the first thing you need to know about from verse 14. Okay, look at it again. 8.14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. First of all, not everyone is a member of God's family. Not everyone is a member of God's family. As I stated earlier, we are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We read that from Galatians. Have we all been created by one God in his image? Yes, absolutely. But does this make us his child? No. When Paul says those who are led by the Spirit of God, he is distinguishing between those who are led and those who are not led by the Spirit of God. That's a huge difference. When the Bible is referencing children of God, we're speaking spiritual terms. Not everyone is a child of God because not all people are spiritually connected to God. If they do not see God as their Lord and Savior, if they've not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, if they've not confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, they are not a child of God. That is not Pastor Rex's opinion. That is Scripture. And to ignore Scripture is to ignore truth. To ignore truth binds us and keeps us from being free in Christ. John eight thirty one. Through 47, Jesus is teaching among some religious leaders. Now, I want you to picture this scene. He's sitting here teaching and talking. He's got these religious leaders on one side, disciples on another. And Jesus is sharing this, this teaching. And they are like, we don't believe what you're saying. We're going to argue with you. Jesus said to the people who believed him, he's looking at his, his disciples and he says this, you truly are my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's where that, you know, that famous scripture we always talk about comes from. But let me read that again. You're my disciples if you remain faithful. Verse 33. But he looks at these other guys and says, But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean we'll be set free? Now, back up. We've never been slaves to anyone. Wrong. Your ancestors were slaves in Egypt as well as during the Babylon captivity. So at one time, you were actually slaves, if you want to go that route. Okay? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins, not getting physical here, but spiritual, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son, referring to Jesus Christ, sets you free, you're truly free. Yes, I believe that you are descendants of Abraham. And yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you're following the advice of your father. Oh, now these religious leaders are like, what? Our father's Abraham. 
Jesus says, no. See, if you really were the children of Abraham, you'd follow his example and say, you're trying to kill me, right? Because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. Abraham would have never tried to kill me. No, you're imitating your real father. Now, these religious leaders are saying, my real, our real father, what are you talking about? They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. Let's pause for a second. For those people who call themselves children of God, let's, let's go with this. Oh, we're all children of God, but I can do this and I can do that and I can act this way and act that way and I really don't have to, you know, go worship God. No, wait, wait, wait. What did Jesus say? You know, if God were really your father, you would love me. There are plenty of people I can see it. Maybe proclaim that they're children of God, but yet they do not love Jesus Christ. They do not love God the Father. Jesus calls these people out. If God were your father, you'd love me because I've come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are children of your father. Oh, here it comes. For you're children of your father, the devil. And you love to do evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. Because the devil is a liar and a father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, Jesus says, you naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Now listen to this. He concludes by saying this. Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Why do I share this passage with you? Because it's very crystal clear in this passage. What I'm trying to tell you about, there's two fathers to follow. Okay? And Jesus makes it clear. There's two families. There's two fatherhoods. And only those who love and serve God are God's children. And if you do not love God and you do not serve God, guess what? He is not your father. You are not his child. It's the way it is. Now here's a second point to know in verse 14. Christians are members of God's family, which requires this, a radical and a supernatural change. It's a radical and supernatural change. To be a part of God's family, there's a huge change that's going to take place. I can't even imagine when an adoptive family goes through all the paperwork, all the time, all the visits. There's a lot of changes that take place. And you may even have to change something at your house to suit the wishes of the court, correct? A lot of changes. God says it's no different spiritually. There's a lot of radical and supernatural changes that take place. Before we place our faith in Christ, here's the deal, church. We were slaves to wickedness. And under divine judgment, we were destined to eternal death. We are separate from God. But see, to be in Christ, that's the place our faith in Christ. That's the complete reverse. We're delivered from sin and its judgment. We're growing in holiness. We possess eternal life. That's a radical change. Passing from a state of slavery to sin to freedom, from death to life, that is a radical change. Are you following me, church? Understand this. The gates of hell and hell itself are very real. And as a Christian, that's our destination before we knew Christ. But as a Christian now, we have the streets of gold. We have the presence of God. We have heaven to look forward to. That's a radical change. But it's also supernatural. And it's all done for us, 
from above by God. We have nothing to do with it. That's amazing. Jesus made that clear when this religious ruler by the name of Nicodemus came to him at night. In John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, we have this great story. You know, we always like John three sixteen. It's we, we probably have memorized this verse. We hear it over and over that God so loved the world. You know where that came? That came in the midst of a conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, this religious ruler, he was so fearful that he would be found out that he was going to talk to Jesus. So he goes at night secretly to talk to him. John chapter 3, he says this in verse 2 as he comes to speak with Jesus. Teacher, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are proof enough that God's with you. See, he gets it, but yet he can't publicly proclaim that, right? Jesus replied, I assure you, unless you are born again, you can never see the kingdom of God. That's that phrase, that Southern Baptist phrase you probably hear. We've got to be born again. You've probably heard that phrase, but we don't hear it that often as much, right? Okay. What do you mean, explained Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, the truth is, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives new life from heaven. So don't be surprised by my statement that you must be born again. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or, or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Jesus says, listen, it's supernatural. You want to try to explain how you are born again, how you have new life in Christ? It's a supernatural thing. It's from above. It's unexplainable. Being a child of God requires this radical and supernatural change. And being a child of God also means that we're led by God's Spirit. Being led by God's Spirit, which I believe... Pastor Landon touched on is that's the practical daily proof of your new relationship. See, we have a new status, right? We're different. Just like Allie. Okay, I want you to think about this. Allie and other adopted children are legally given new names and a new family. But you know what they're also given? A new way of living. They're not going to live the way they used to live, especially those who grow up in orphanages. If you are living in an orphanage, the way you are living is much different when you're adopted and removed from there and placed into a new family. Your way of living is different. You will not live with a family like an orphanage or like an orphan from an orphanage. It's completely different. See, Ali's going to wake up in her new home. And she now lives in light of how her new parents raise her. She has new rules, new guidelines for how she will live. She will be raised and she will be led in the steps of her new parents. See, our Heavenly Father, God, is our new spiritual parent. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you come under His household now. We now have a new way of living. Being a Christian means that we'll be led by the Holy Spirit that now lives within us. We grow in holiness, as Pastor Landon referenced. Romans chapter 8, verses 13 to 14. You go back to that. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. 
So I'm not sure if you've ever personally witnessed this, but many of us have seen it in the news. It's a paternity suit when a mother sues for support of her child on the grounds that a certain man is the father, and though he denies it. See, in the past, it was impossible to prove. We don't know if he really is the father. But now, okay, thanks to DNA testing and all this goes on, both the alleged father and the child genetic makeup that relationship can be determined and established because of that test. Church, this verse is like our DNA testing right here. You following me? If the Spirit is leading our lives, there's proof that we are God's family. As a Christian, guess what? We live like Christians. That's proof. We're led by the Spirit. We're on a path of discipleship. We follow the teachings and the directions of Jesus Christ. Listen, we may stumble. We may fall. We will sin. We will mess up. But we get back up and we keep going because we're growing in holiness. To be led by the Holy Spirit, there's evidence of moving forward. But how does the Holy Spirit lead? That can be mysterious at times, right? It's almost like I had a God sign. Just as... Rhonda used so many different examples in Illinois. How she saw God at work. That's a mysterious way of how God leads. And there's other ways in which Paul shares that we are being led by the Spirit. I'll share two of those real quick with you. One is he renews our minds. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you Let them be a living. Let them be a holy sacrifice. The kind he'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Then he says in verse 2, Don't copy the behavior of the world around you or the customs, but let God transform you by what? By the renewing of the mind, the way you think. Then you'll know God's perfect and pleasing will for your life. Paul says, as you're being led by the Spirit, here's how you're led by the Spirit. You allow God to renew your mind. How how does God renew your mind? Through getting into the Scripture and reading and through prayer. Here's another way. He stirs our hearts. Here's how God also leads us and the Spirit leads us. He stirs our hearts. Galatians 4, 6 says this. Because we are His children, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Did you hear that? Do you remember we always pray that prayer? We ask Jesus into our heart. Do you ever wonder if there's a verse that sort of sounds familiar? As children of God... We are told that God sends the Spirit of His Son, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, prompting us, listen, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. The heart is the seat of the emotions, right? And the Holy Spirit stirs our hearts towards God to love Him, a response to act of love towards others. So let me ask you these questions. You actually ask yourself these questions. Okay, you ready for this? Do you try to please God? Ask yourself, do I try to please God? Do I want to spend time with Him through Bible study and prayer and worship? Do I really want to spend time with Him? Do I really want to seek His favor? Is is my heart stirred towards God the way my heart was stirred towards my wife when I first met her? Answer that one. Just put your spouse's name in there. Think about that. Did your heart flutter like that, like it did when you were dating? 
towards God. Somebody's thinking, that's weird. How does that happen? I will never forget when my 35-year-old brother, at the time he was 35, I'm the youngest, he's the oldest, he was 35, and he started dating this young lady. Now, I have to understand, went to college, got his master's, was in youth ministry, he moved back home, he was like always up in his room, door shut, classic music playing, I mean, it was just my brother, okay? And uh, when he come out, I usually argued with my mom over the show Donahue. Remember the talk show? Some of you are like, Donahue? Yeah, that's an old talk show, okay? It's like they just wanted to butt heads or something. I don't know, because he was always right. And we all know mom's always right, okay? Figure that one out, right? But here's this brother of mine who's a keeper of the rules at home, 35 years old, still at home, and he meets this young lady. And he was Mr. Reserved, right? Mr keep the rules. I'll never forget, went to my Uncle Fred's. He's got this big outdoor swimming pool, big. And we are always out there playing stuff. David, he would, he'd probably be under a tree, reading a book, reading the Bible, something, okay? All of a sudden, he brings his fiance with, she's going out to the pool. Where's David? He comes running out, swimsuit on. We're like, <gasps> first of all, like, what's that, okay? And then he does a cannonball off the diving board. You know, and we're like, whoa, David? And then he about drowned because he didn't swim very well. And he flutters around and he gets up and then we're having water fights and splash. And we're thinking, what has gotten into him? Love, right? Only love and passion can stir a heart so much to do things out of the ordinary. And I look at that and I ask ourselves as Christians, when's the last time that God has stirred your heart so much and you've done something out of the ordinary for him? You're like, man, I just love God so much. I just, I'm doing it for him. I'm just doing it for him. Being led by the Spirit means you have a new identity. Your your mind is being renewed. Your heart is being stirred. You're acting within the will of God. There's proof, right? Look with me at Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. So you've not received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. You know, in this verse, we're introduced to another proof of being child of God, it's called adoption. The Greek word is huilthesia, which basically means an installation or placement as a son. See, a person's taken from one family or no family and they're placed into another. That was adoption in biblical terms. In this particular verse, it refers to a person moving from the family of Adam or Satan and moving into the family of God. So when we see this word adoption being used here, Paul's saying You've been adopted. God has taken you out of that family, the fatherhood of Satan, and he is adopting you and placing you into his family. You're no longer part of that family. You have a new family. So when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, there's a new birth. We're born again. The process is called regeneration. We have a new nature, okay? It's radical. It's supernatural. But adoption has to do with receiving a new status. There's a big difference there. Paul's been telling us what we've been delivered from, a former bondage, right? And we've been freed by the Holy Spirit, but now he adds that you have a new state or position, which contains the privilege of sonship. So like Allie, here's the deal. She's removed from a current status. She's placed in a new family. She receives new opportunity for life, but she also receives a position that contains privileges of being a reader. 
she's going to get things that she would have not gotten in another family. In the reader family, she will receive things that nobody else would have given her. So that word is used by Paul in the New Testament, only by Paul in the New Testament. It's only used five times, but his readers would have understood adoption from their culture. Signifying as the grants, being granted full rights and privileges of sonship into a family which was not there by nature. That's what happens to us as Christians in salvation. We need to understand how incredible, how important this verse is for us as believers in Jesus Christ. See, no Old Testament Jew would have ever looked at this verse and said, call God Abba Father. We don't even speak the name of God. Matter of fact, when we write the name of God, we leave out certain letters. That's how strict they were in Old Testament with the name of God. That's why we're told not to take God's name in vain. But New Testament comes along and Jesus says, we call him actually Abba, Father, which means Daddy. That's a new status. Because when you're adopted into the family of God, God says, I want you to call me Daddy. It's very special. Very special. You know, this weekend we celebrate being an American, right? We are free thanks to the sacrifices made by our forefathers. But church, today you can celebrate being free from sin thanks to the sacrifices made by our Heavenly Father. Have you confessed your sins, church? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Is there evidence of you being his child? Do you realize that as an adopted child of God, we are free to live by the power of God's Spirit? By the way, Bo Malachi, I want you to think about this. You've got a new sister, right? She's got brothers didn't have that before, did you? You didn't have a sister before, right? So the cool thing about adoption is you have a new family member. Church, whenever somebody gives their life to Jesus Christ, you have a new family member. Church, you are brothers and sisters in Christ through spiritual adoption. Isn't that amazing? As you sit around here this morning, you have privileges given to you by the Heavenly Father that we would not have had we not been adopted into His family. You are brothers and sisters. So just as I'm sure, think about this, there might be a few disagreements and arguments between the siblings at times. That might happen if they haven't already, right? There might be a little picking along the way between the brothers and sister, right? But love always overcomes. They're family. They will encourage each other to be the best for one another. In the same way, my brothers and sisters in Christ, it should be the same with us. As adopted children, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we will make mistakes with each other. We'll probably pick on each other at times. We may hurt each other. But church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to learn to forgive one another, to love one another. So we will pray that our hearts are stirred towards loving our Heavenly Father back who has adopted us. And that we will learn to love one another as well. Would you please stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day that we've been given to worship you. We thank you that we can hear the words of Paul and see what he says to be children of God. We know that if we've confessed with our mouths we know that if we've asked for forgiveness we've asked you to be the Lord of our life you forgive us 
and you send your spirit into our hearts. You adopt us into your family. You love us as if we were your own flesh and blood. You give us privileges that didn't belong to us. And for those things, we say, thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Abba, Father. But God, we know that there are some people who have never prayed this prayer. They've never asked for forgiveness. So God, we pray for them that they will choose you. They will choose this free gift. Lord, I can't imagine, I know as whether people adopt overseas or within the state, sometimes the adoption price can be pretty heavy. But with you, you paid for it. It's up to us to choose to be a part of your family. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you free us from sin. Lord, we do want to be led by your spirit as your children. So God, help us to seek you. Help us to have our minds renewed by you. Stir our hearts, God, to love you more. We may walk in a way that honors you as your children. Lord, bless this time as we continue to worship you in song. In that name we pray, amen.